Welcome back to the Outcomes Rocket. Saul Marquez here, and today I have the privilege of hosting Jason Rose. He's the CEO of Adhere Health. With nearly 25 years experience in healthcare technology, Jason's a serial health IT entrepreneur. He's focused on launching disruptive products that drive digital health innovation and also value-based care outcomes. His career includes leading data-driven product development, corporate strategy, business development, and beyond. One of his recent experiences is at Inavalon. Over the past decade, he served as the senior executive supporting the company from startup through IPO. As executive vice president and strategic development officer, Jason led development of several blockbuster products at Inavalon and marketed expansion of the company's technology presence across the healthcare marketplace. His prior experience includes time at Cerner, Cap Gemini, Ernst & Young, Inspirus, and Ardent Health Services. Ultimately, he's focused today on making a difference in medication adherence, a $500 billion problem in the United States alone. He and his firm are working diligently to bridge the gap between social determinants of health and medical data, as well as the data at the pharmacy to help you bring medication adherence to keep your patients out of the doctor, keep them healthier for longer periods of time. So with that introduction, I'm privileged to host Jason on the podcast. Jason, welcome. Yeah, thank you, Saul. Really uh, looking forward to this conversation. So what would you say is, is a hot topic you feel should be on everybody's agenda today. And, and let's talk about how Adhere Health is approaching that, that topic. Yeah, th thanks, Saul. That, that's a great question. Obviously, the hot topic is, is COVID-19. And how can we prevent the spread of the pandemic, uh, the disease? How can we mitigate the hospitalizations and ultimately mortality for these patients? And uh, that is clearly not, not just even on every uh, person that's focusing on healthcare, but really just every person in the civilized world is focusing on, on these really important issues. So um, there was a report that um, I was anticipating would come out a couple months back, and it finally came out about two weeks ago from the uh, Centers of Disease Control that described 90% of the hospitalizations due to COVID-19-related uh, disease, uh, but 90% of those hospitalizations um, had patients that had an underlying disease, and most of those uh, people that were hospitalized were also elderly. And um, these are the patients that are most at risk and typically the highest cost patients uh, within um, at-risk populations. And, you know, understandably, those are the people who are effectively getting um, hospitalized. So we need to find ways to, to focus on reducing those hospitalizations and, and um, ultimately the death. So, so I guess regarding what Adhere Health is doing about that, we, yes. we consider ourselves a part of this solution. And our company is a medication adherence technology healthcare company. Mm -hmm. So we are focusing on ensuring that the patients that need to be on their medications are getting access to them, understand why they're taking these medications, why the doctors prescribe them, 
uh, making sure that they are able to pay for them, that they are taking them on a um, prescribed basis uh, per evidence-based guidelines and their, their doctor's orders, and that they continue to take them. And we believe strongly that uh, that is a core focus that the healthcare uh, universe, that really the, the world should be focusing on to prevent the continued hospitalizations that the world's experiencing right now. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a great focus area. And and you know as as we think about capacity and and the issues that we have with, you know, making sure that if you don't need to be in the hospital or the emergency room, then don't be there. And so, you know, adherence is one of those things that's a huge problem. Maybe maybe you could give us uh, an example Jason, of how you and your organization have have created, you know, better adherence uh, and better outcomes with what you guys do. Yeah, absolutely, Saul. So um, I'm going to give you a, a specific example from um, a health plan that we work with right now that that I think will help resonate what we do and how we how we go about it. So when we engage with a health plan, what they do is they provide us with all of their membership data for eligibility, pharmacy claims, often medical claims, hospital discharge data, and that comes across to us daily at a discrete level of patients and their specific uh, diseases and the drugs that they're on, who prescribe them, where the pharmacies that they're getting them from are, if they're low income subsidized, et cetera. So we take in that data daily and we identify where there is risk for patients to, um, uh, to, to take their drugs and to overcome any what's called social determinants of health or SDOH. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And we use that data to prioritize which patients we um, reach out to and which doctors we're reaching out to for their patients on their panel. So I'll give you a really good example of um, how we use that data. So this is just last week as an example. We identified um, uh, one patient, this is out of tens of millions, frankly, but one patient that uh, has, uh, I think she's got seven different doctors. She's got four different chronic diseases. She's taking 17 drugs a day. And she is obviously high risk. So she's quarantined at home and she is Spanish speaking. And she's worried about leaving her home to get her medications, as she should be. So we identify her, her as a high-risk patient. And here's the interesting fact. Most of the patients we deal with, historically, may fit that profile, but they have adherence issues, meaning that they're not taking their drugs um, uh, on the evidence-based guidelines way. This particular patient actually is nearly 100% adherent on every drug she's supposed to take. She's extremely vigilant about it. But yet, she, when we reach out to her to sort of check in on her well-being and make sure that in the, in the midst of this pandemic, we wanted to make sure that she was getting everything she needed uh, because the health plan asked us to. And um, we actually left a voicemail uh, with, you know, without giving any, obviously, PHI on the voicemail, just to ask if we could um, talk to her about her health. But she called us back and she was so worried about not getting her drug because she wanted to stay adherent that she asked if we could help her overcome access issues with her pharmaceuticals. 
So we uh, we own a pharmacy as well, which is called AdhereRx. And in the process of discussing her different pharmacy benefits and her health plan, she uh, she elected to enroll in our pharmacy. And our pharmacy, we already have all the medications and the doctors that she uh, has today in the pharmacies. So we you know, reviewed those drugs with her, uh, made sure she still wanted uh, all these medications, and then we enrolled them in the pharmacy. And uh, within a couple days or so, she'll uh, she received those uh, medications to her home via private courier. I don't think that she had a credit card, so uh, she'll have to pay in cash on mm-hmm. delivery, uh, which is something that we do. Uh, so we're not using FedEx or UPS to deliver to her home. We're actually delivering with a private courier. And then she uh, she now has the medication she has to prevent her from actually having to go into a grocery store or pharmacy or even her mailbox, frankly, uh, allows her to be able to pay for them and actually space out the payments so that she can afford it because, you know, 17 medications and, you know, even with a minimal copay uh, through her insurance is expensive. So she actually even enrolled her son. She's 77 years oh, old. She right? actually asked her son to be enrolled too. So this is just a good use example of high-risk patients, data-driven technology and clinical workflow, and then ultimately closing the loop to make sure that this patient was getting the needs that she did in in this uh, orchestration. And we do that every single day as well. Wow. Well, that's such a great example, Jason. And you know, just thinking about the relief that she must have felt, and the you know peace of mind that the payer is experiencing knowing that this type of work is happening behind the scenes for their biggest risk patients. Tell me a little bit about employers, right? Because my mind goes to employers and the potential benefits of a, of us, you know, a, an employer that provides insurance, uh, well, you know, pays for their, for their employees' health. Yeah, absolutely. So it, it, it's very similar and I'll, I'm going to break your question down to two different areas. You've got okay. employers that have active employees, mm-hmm. and then you have employers who have retirement benefits to grow with Medicare. So they still owe a uh, healthcare relationship with their retired employees. Uh, so we we actually work with both. Um, okay. So in the case of the um, um, employer that um, has uh, patients. I'm sorry, employees rather, we, very similar model. We're in taking the data on a daily basis to identify all the different issues that the patient might have. Uh, We usually actually in the commercial employer market, we're usually actually grouping pharmacy gap issues to provider patient panels. So we're looking at the actual provider group and we're identifying where we see a nucleus of patients in volume to um, both uh, fax the um, uh, data to the doctor's uh, practice group's office and then have a nurse-nurse conversation to review each patient in their panel that appear to have a gap in pharmacy. So um, a lot of the times we actually see the data gap, the, the pharmacy gap in the medical data. So so if you think about a pharmacy benefit management company, they usually don't get the medical data. They usually get only the pharmacy data. Right. So we're receiving both. So we're looking, right. if you if you think about medication adherence in the three different buckets, 
you have number one, did the patient initiate the drug regimen, the first pattern, the first you know, dispensing? Mm-hmm. Two, are they taking it by evidence-based guidelines? And three, did they discontinue the drugs that they're supposed to stop taking it at some point? So this, those, you know, three areas. So in the medical data, we can identify, here's a patient that has, let's say, epilepsy, and they're at risk if they don't take that drug for epilepsy that's been prescribed to them, presumably by the doctor, to be hospitalized or have some bad outcome. So we're actually using the medical data to identify the patient is not even taking that drug at all. And then we're reaching out to the doctor in the practice group because we can see that he's the, he or she is the one that uh, did the diagnosis that the patient actually hasn't initiated the drug process because they may not even know that. So, um, and then we have a nurse-nurse conversation, we, and then we follow to make sure that the patient eventually fills the script. In the case of the Medicare side, where it's a retirement benefit, we're usually uh, working both with the doctors and we're working with the um, uh, retired employee directly as well to overcome um, similar uh, issues that we talked about with the um, patient prior, which is, you know, why are these patients not taking their drugs inherently? If they're, so half of Americans, it's the stat is 50% of Americans, young, adult, and old, don't take their drugs um, as uh, they should by evidence-based guidelines. So we're seeing that in the data patterns, and we're reaching out to the patient to identify why are they not getting the, the, uh, the drugs that they, uh, or, or why are they not filling them as often as they should if there's issues with it. So in that conversation with the patient, uh, we will have conversations such as, uh, do you understand the medications that have been prescribed to you? We'll get into, if it's a low-income subsidized patient, um, we'll get into, do you have food in your refrigerator? Right. Do you have access to your doctor? Do you have transportation to get to your pharmacy or your doctor to get the care you need? And so in the health plan benefits, which we load into our platform and our clinical uh, CRM workflow, we're overcoming each of these issues. These I call it Maslow hierarchy of needs. You know, food, water, shelter, health literacy. We're identifying these issues. We're overcoming each one to get them eventually to the right med, and then that way we can uh, avoid medical costs and improve quality. Very good, very good. Yeah, it's uh, interesting to hear the flow. So where do you guys sit in the supply chain of it all? You know, somebody's listening, you know, one of the leaders listening to this say, hmm, fascinating. You know, where do you guys fit in? You know, is with the PBMs, with the benefits companies, with an insurance company? Tell me about how you guys fit into that supply chain. Yeah, so anyone who is taking risk on their patient population Mm-hmm. is typically a client for us. So we do a tremendous amount of work with health plans. The health plans sometimes are fully insured. Sometimes uh, if it's a commercial population, they may be an ASO, meaning that they're really just an administrator of health plan benefits for the mm-hmm. self-insured employers. So we're typically working with the plan, but we also do work directly with the larger employers as well. Um, because effectively it's the same pattern. It's just um, we we can get a, a larger group of employers through a health plan, mm-hmm. and so that's that's sort of the commercial sector. If it's a Medicare 
related patient, then we're going to work with the Medicare Advantage plans, uh, obviously manage Medicaid plans, dual plans. And in those circumstances, they are not just benefiting from the medical cost reduction from improving medication adherence. They're also getting benefits from the state and federal government on value-based care reimbursement increases for quality of care. So, for example, in the Medicare Advantage space, there is a a program that's a part of the Affordable Care Act called Star Ratings for Medicare Advantage, and that's a $6.5 billion annual pool of money that the best-performing quality plans in the country for Medicare will get a a piece of the value-based care additional reimbursement for for the benefit of getting a better quality care. And so we work with those help plans directly to overcome those challenges. And so that's the, I'd say that's the technology um, side of our, of our company, but we also um, uh, own a pharmacy as well. And we have pharmacy partners. So if you think about, you've got targeting engagement, targeting of the patient, engagement with the patient and their doctor, overcoming barriers of care, to help them get the right medication and avoid bad things from happening, improve outcomes. But then we are also procuring the right pharmacy for that particular patient as well. So we own our own pharmacy for those higher risk patients that need a, a monthly comprehensive medication review, focusing on drug utilization review and giving, you know, procuring in a supply chain the drug to, we are RA pharmacy, we are delivering. Uh, We're dispensing the pharmacy from our uh, nationwide pharmacies and then delivering it right to the patient's door via private courier. But we're also uh, uh, have pharmacy partners that are providing compliance packaging or mail order pharmacy as well. So we're we're really a full, you know, sort of end to end solution on that side of the uh, supply chain as well. You know, it's a very complex business. And (laughs) anytime you get into pharmacy benefits and and just adherence, it's tough. And so, you know, I know that it hasn't always been a smooth running machine, <laughs> right, Jason? So what would you say is, is one of the setbacks you guys have had and what did you learn from that? First of all, we what we're doing is unique. There is not any other company that I've seen or come across that intakes data identifies risk, stratifies it, prioritizes it, puts it into a CRM-like clinical workflow, closes gaps at full risk for each quality measure, and then also produces the drug to the patient's doorstep. Um, And then we sell everything as a software as a service as well, by the way, not just our, we have about 1,000 clinical personnel across the country, uh, or we can use it as a SaaS if the client wants to do it that way. So there is no other company that's doing this, and it's it's um, and just to, I'll get to your question in a moment, but just no, to it's set good. The I'm glad you're I'm glad you're highlighting this, Jason. It's key. Yeah. So so if you think about medication adherence, it's uh, on an annual basis, it is half a trillion dollars of avoidable medical cost. It's 16 percent of the entire U.S. healthcare economy spend that can be avoided if we actually initiate the medications, we get the patients to take them by evidence-based guidelines, and then we discontinue the drugs they shouldn't be on. So half a trillion dollars every year. And that's a, uh, uh, annals of pharmacotherapy study 
It's about five years old now, so it's probably well north of half a trillion, but that's the latest information. So it's critically important, but yet no one's really focusing on it holistically. It's certainly not from a data and a clinical workflow perspective. So uh, I'll start there. So the reason why I bring all that up in the context of your question of what's the biggest challenge you have is that anytime that something is new and I'd say disruptive, mm-hmm. it's going to be harder to explain why this is so important. And so and why it's so critical in terms of outcomes, which is the name of your podcast as well. Yes. So you start with the big challenge, half a trillion dollars, number one. Number two, half of Americans don't take their drugs the way they should be by evidence-based guidelines. Really important. So there you go. Number three, social determinants of health. Why are they not taking them the way they should be? Well, we have to overcome that one patient at a time, one drug at a time. And make sure that your you know, time and value money, what's the most important things we should be focusing on? You really need data tech. You need really strong clinical efficacy. Uh, we need outcomes to prove that these things work. And so I'd say that that's probably the biggest challenge we have as we're a high-growth company. We're certainly nationwide. We have you know, 30 million patients in our data set, so that's nearly 10% of the U.S. population. But that is probably the biggest challenge we have is just uh, helping people understand a very complex subject. But I think people get it once they hear, wow, half a trillion dollars every year. And I can, how does that apply to my particular patient population? How do I actually improve value-based care in my risk population so I can benefit from cost reduction? Also, really, at the end of the day, do the right thing for the member or the employee within my um, at-risk group. Yeah, that's a that's a great call out. And and it is very different. I mean, it's an end to end service that we're talking about here. And just uh, brilliant work that you and your team are doing, Jason, to address this, this half a trillion dollar problem. I mean, that the number is astounding, right? And, and we take a step back. And those dollars are, are dollars that could be going toward other things like, you know, like basically building your business, right? You're an employer wasting money. And then their tax dollars, you know, getting wasted. And, you know, your, your work is admirable. What, what inspires your work in healthcare? Why are you doing this? This is hard stuff. Yeah, I, I mean, per, personally, uh, and I, I, uh, I'll say personally, I've been in healthcare and healthcare technology my entire career, about 25 years now. Early on, when I was at my master's program at uh, George Washington University in the business school, I happened to be working in the um, the uh, practice group's IT department, and I saw sort of at the ground level, this is in the early 90s, mm-hmm. I saw at the ground level how incredibly inefficient healthcare was. And I was just amazed about how the healthcare spectrum was just really not embracing tech. And so I went to the dean of the school and I said, I'd like to focus my, my MBA uh, health services administration program on healthcare tech. And they mm-hmm. said, well, we don't have a program for that. So um, you'll have to create it and get it approved by the dean. So I did that. And I, I, was, um, I also had to get a residency uh, somewhere, an internship um, with this. And so I approached Cerner Corporation, which back in the day was not as big as they are today. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm actually the first graduate intern for Cerner. Oh, and really? yeah, yes. you were speaking to the first graduate intern, maybe the only <laughs> one too. So I throw that out there, but 
in any case, I just saw really early on, you know, 25, some 30 years ago, that, that it was just a huge opportunity to leverage data and tech and clinical workflow to improve um, healthcare and quality of care. And I, I, I personally get um, uh, a deeper, um, uh, a d- deeper value personally on a day-to-day basis because this is not easy work, like you said, it's hard that I'm doing something that will help both one patient at a time and populations at a time to improve their lives and reduce um, costs and things of that nature. I, I think of everything in terms of you've got qualitative and quantitative value. The qualitative value is where we are preventing hospitalizations and poor quality and bad outcomes uh, in terms of a person, you know, a family member, a mom, a dad, a cousin, an uncle, et cetera. The, the quantitative value is improving um, cost, improving value-based care, reimbursement, so we can actually take those dollars and put it to better quality of care and continuing to move the dial. Half a trillion dollars, how do we take a chunk out of that? How do we get um, less hospitalizations? And I'd say right now, where we are, and, and I'll go to my, my company, every single one of us, we have about 1,000 employees nationwide. We're fully focused and dedicated on this COVID crisis, and we believe that we are part of this solution. This, unfortunately, this crisis is not going to end uh, anytime soon. Even as as Nashville, I live in Nashville, Tennessee. So today, they're opening up the um, some of the businesses, such as restaurant, to 50% capacity, and they're going to measure how things work over a two-week increments as they slowly open up to to more of a state of normalcy. And it's probably going to be just fine for those people who are not at high risk. And over time, we'll get better and better as a country and as a world to deal with that. But the people that are at high risk, which are these people with high, with underlying conditions, those are not the people that, um, that, are, that really should be going outside their home or being extremely careful. And so those people really need to get the most focus and they need to get programs that will improve their overall care. So I go back to, you know, data, clinical workflow, overcoming these outcome barriers and and getting their medications to them in their home with strong clinical support on a regular basis as well. And that really inspires all of our employees because we really feel like this is our, our time to step up for society and really be part of the solution. So it's a it's a strong calling, Jason. And you know, when you when you think about keeping these at risk patients safe, I mean, it's it's a strong calling. And how you guys are doing it is is complex, but the result is simple, right? And and so I I, I love your focus. I love your mission driven approach. It's something that is is inspiring. What we'll do here now, Jason, is is a little lightning round kind of fun because I haven't done the lightning round in a while. So uh, I'm excited about it. I got well, a couple- This is my first, so this will be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be a good time. It'll be a good time. And listeners, you're probably like, oh, the lightning round. We haven't heard that in months. And so nice little fresh, uh, fresh approach here for, for everybody. What would you say, Jason, is the best way to improve healthcare outcomes? Uh, I, I, uh, I really believe strongly that the best way to improve it is to um, ensure that patients who have 
underlying conditions and diseases are getting their medications and taking them um, the way that the doctor has prescribed them. And that will improve um, dramatically healthcare outcomes. What would you say is the biggest mistake or pitfall to avoid? Not leveraging the data that you have available. So whether you be an employer or a health plan, the data and the adherence levels for the, uh, whether it be employees or members or retirees or what have you, is sitting in your, in your uh, data assets. And this, the pitfall is, is not using that to identify the patients who are most at risk and then doing something about it. Mm-hmm. So good. How, how do you stay relevant as an organization despite constant change? You know, I, the first thing that comes to mind is listen. Mm-hmm. So when we approach a, a new business, a new employer or a new health plan, first thing we do is listen. We call it a discovery workshop and we listen to what they are already doing because there's probably lots of great things that they are doing. And then we identify where maybe there's some gaps in what we call the medication adherence journey. And, uh, and we help fill in those gaps, whether it be the data or the analytics or the clinical workflow or the pharmacy uh, supply chain procurement. We just uh, think the best way to stay relevant is listen and be willing to um, be innovative on uh, ideas to help and, and fill the gaps. Love it. What's an area of focus that drives everything at Adhere Health? Uh, it, it's, uh, it's our mission. Uh, our mission is to tackle the half a trillion dollars of um, avoidable medical costs. So as long as it is uh, supporting that mission, um, then that is an area that we are focused on uh, doing in the most effective, efficient way possible. Love it. And, and so, you know, one of the things we like to do here on the Outcomes Rocket, Jason, is, is hear our amazing guest book reviews. I'd love to hear yours and, and uh, learn more about, you know, what you are enjoying to, to read, or, or maybe it's your favorite read overall that you'd love to recommend to us. Yeah, I think uh, I, I'd probably go with um, one of the more recent books I've read, uh, um, uh, just to keep it uh, fresh, sure. is there's a book uh, by Daniel Coyle called The Culture Code. Hmm. And it's a fairly recent book. It's fantastic. It really, really? focuses on the, um, uh, the importance of corporate culture and mission-based organizations and how that can produce better business results. And, and so I, I really embraced the, uh, the book and, and what the book was trying to do. It's a pragmatic book. It's not, a, not so esoteric. It gives lots of really good examples of why it's important with scientific research behind it. And, um, and I, I just really like the book. It just finished it about a month or so ago. Nice. The Culture Code. Great recommendation, yeah. Jason. And, and, and folks, uh, you know where to go for the details, outcomesrocket.health. In the search bar, type in Adhere Health, and you'll see the entire transcript with our interview with Jason. And uh, you'll also see links to his company, adherehealth.com as well as their other firm. So ch- check out those show notes so you can learn more. And, and so as we, as we conclude today, Jason, I- I'd love if you could just share a closing thought and then the best place where the listeners could continue the conversation with you or somebody on your team. 
Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I'm going to go back to how we started this conversation is with respect to COVID-19. And um, uh, I would I would strongly suggest that um, those who are uh, have uh, either employees or or health plan membership or patients in their practice group, et cetera, who um, uh, uh, where they are expected to provide care for and support is to focus on these patients who are at high risk right now with these underlying conditions and ensure that uh, you're doing everything possible to identify them proactively, to have some form of a outreach to them, to check on their well-being, make sure that they have everything they need, food, shelter, uh, uh, other light essentials, and especially their medications and ensuring that that is an ongoing process. And that's something that is uh, not a transactional event. It's an ongoing program to ensure that these patients really don't end up in the hospital and um, uh, over overwhelm the um, hospital system. So that would be uh, strongly encouraged. That's a great call to action and one that we should all be thinking about. And, and, and so Jason, what would you say is the best place for folks to continue the conversation with you or learn more about what you guys are up to? Well, certainly uh, you can go to our website, which is um, at herehealth.com. But certainly you can also write me a personal email and that's jason.rose, R-O-S-E, at, at, at herehealth.com. Outstanding. Folks, take Jason up on this. I mean, an extraordinary opportunity to, to take your health and well-being to the next level, as well as the populations you care for. Jason, thanks so much for spending time with us. Thank you very much, Saul. I really enjoyed the discussion. Yeah.